Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, the first of 2019. Uh, sat around the editorial table, joining me, Chris Bound, the web editor at Hotel Analyst, are Catherine Dogrell, our perspective editor, and Andrew Sankster, our editorial director. This week, the three topics we've picked to discuss are luxury brands, co-living, and home sharing. So let's start with the luxury brands, and in particular, Orient Express, and Accor has revealed, finally, what it's going to be doing uh, about the brand it picked up when it took it away from uh, Belmont. Catherine, what more can you tell us? Indeed, Happy New Year to Orient Express, who now have a hotel. Um, you may have think that they thought that they had hotels before, and indeed they did, but don't be confused, now they're all Belmonts. Um, so now, an Orient Express for um, Bangkok, and again, don't be confused, previously it was an addition, <laughs> but uh, they, it did never opened as such, but now it's an Orient Express. And I think one of the interesting things about this, um, this agreement, and particularly in the light of um, the more detail that's been coming out about the Belmont deal, particularly from the LVMH side, is that um, Accor are not planning a huge scale um, expansion for Orient Express. They're keeping it small and luxury and something that not everyone can have, which of course is, is what the, what you want. They're not specifically saying that. They had, um, what were they calling it? Mysterious luxury. There we go. And um, UMH are saying that for um, Belmond, they're doing much the same. They're not going to expand it rapidly. They're going to keep it small. They're going to build the brand. Oh, and so Orange Express are looking at, I think they said, 10 sites um, by 2025, according to their um, developers, um, which is not huge. But of course, this is something that hopefully we'll be seeing more of with these brands where you can, can achieve real loyalty and real luxury without having to spread them out over 50, 60, 100 hotels in the way that we've seen many a luxury brand fall by the wayside in the past. And if, like Accor, you've been um, building up your luxury portfolio with a number of different brands, you can still achieve the huge global scale um, that you by covering the whole world, but you can do it with a number of uh, smaller hotels. So this is something that we've seen, a number of smaller brands, this is something that we've seen Accor building up over the years, picking up 25 hours, picking up other smaller flags, which they're not, they've said they're not planning on rolling out everywhere. Um, this is not Ibis styles. So I think finally, a kind of a scale argument that doesn't just involve world domination and uh, and that sort of thing. And I think we can um, hopefully all enjoy no dilution of luxury, you know, should we ever make it through the door as a result. <laughs> and, and to completely build on that, um, I've got a New Year's resolution for everybody in the industry. And that is stop whining about there being too many hotel brands. I can't. <laughs> but I, I think by doing that, by moaning, saying that, that there are too many brands, what, what people are failing to do is recognise just how much the hotel industry has shifted. And there's a fundamental change in what a hotel brand is and what it means. So historically, really, we had hotel brands which sort of positioned it, you know, if you, if you wanted to pay 50 quid, you're an economy brand. If you wanted to pay £100, you were a mid-market brand. And if you wanted to pay 150 you were upscale. And £200 plus in London, you were luxury. Um, well, it's got a lot more sophisticated than that these days. And now, really, uh, you know, if you want to, get all psychological about it we're moving up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you know whereas those initial branding concepts were just about physiology and safety we're, we're now actually beginning to get to the top of that 
pyramid and we're talking about self-fulfillment mm. of the consumer the guest and this is what it's about and this is the future of hotel brands and the it's going to be you're going to have a big collection umbrella brand under which all these different um, ways to fulfill your needs are going to be solved by the, by the individual brands and their concepts and I think what Accor is doing with Orient Express is bang on the money with this and understanding that to make it special make it unique you can't have squillions of the things across the globe you you can only have a handful and that you know for something like this which is a super special experience which after all is what the orient express piece was about um when it was still a train um you know it's a once in a lifetime um trip um the same for the hotels they're, they're positioning themselves into that and, and that's precisely where they should be so i i think this is about the hotel industry maturing in how it um, tackles brands and part of that maturation is to have many many more of these brands well wow, an exciting future to look forward to um <laughs> let's now proceed to our uh, next topic, and uh, we're going to talk a bit about co-living, uh, but we're not going to talk about uh, co-living here in uh, in European markets, uh, which uh, of course we work is, uh, is is keeps uh, trailing. It's going to going to launch something exciting in I don't know is it in London or is it going to be in New York um, as they take over the world of uh, we this we that and we the other. Uh, no, this is actually about uh, co-living in India. Catherine, please explain. Well, can I be the first person at this point to say we, we, we all the way home? Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, yes. Um, so uh, that's trademark, by the way. Anyway, so go living in India. Um, much as we were discussing Orient Express and how it's um, just, you know, sort of once of a lifetime experience, um, people are increasingly finding in the large metropolises, um, particularly in India, particularly in London, particularly in New York, that um, that uh, just living in a, in a flat on your own that you can afford is something which is something of a once of a lifetime experience and so up pops co-living and um, Warburg Pincus and Lemon Tree Hotels have worked together before and now they're working together again um, and we should see an expansion of affordable living in central locations um, which is very appealing for developers because you can have many 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 people and just the one living room or just the one expensive kitchen so you can quite see how it would all work out we've been looking at co-living for a while at Hotel Analyst and um, at the moment nothing we don't like there are some twitches and uh, twinges around it um, I was talking to somebody one of the big four reasonably recently um, accountancy firms and they looked into it for their staff as a lure to try and get them to work with them um, as if oodles of cash wasn't enough um, but they said they didn't go ahead with it in the end because they found that people didn't know where it was that they had their private space um, and the private space tends to be quite small in these developments so there are some twitches and twinges around it but um, I think if you uh, without other options, um, well, without other options is a bit harsh. But if you're looking for somewhere affordable to live that would be fun and surrounded by people who you like and potentially and might get on with and like-minded people, then um, what's not to enjoy? I don't see why this shouldn't run and run. <laughs> to your wee 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 um, copyrighted um, <laughs> piece there, Catherine. Um, I, I actually think cynically you could look at this, and um, uh, if you look at Lemon Tree, it had an IPO back in March last year. Um, it, it did quite well. It had a 
in, in, in terms of the initial surge in the share price. It's been a bit ho-hum since, and how can you sex that up a little bit more? Well, let's have a little bit of co-living, and um, quite whether you would get a WeWork-type valuation is, is questionable, of course. But, I mean, certainly that's that's something everybody's eyeing in terms of that um, stratospheric multiple that WeWork trades on. Um, well, I think as, well, far as, hopes to trade as far as we living goes, one of the issues that they've been having is that they're not... Um, I mean, and whether how much this is affordable living, um, I think it's more affordable living rather than affordable living. Um, certainly the, the stories coming out of We Live, whether it was a little bit uh, toppy price-wise, maybe had ideas above its station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, I think uh, all of this stuff, I mean, it, it, it's it's one of these optionality pieces, isn't it, with the, with the venture capital firms. They sort of plough lots of cash into lots of different ones, and they just need one of them to pop, and that pays off all the, the errors everywhere else. Um, but in, in terms of what, what's happening here, I think, it, it, and, and to reiterate what you were saying about we've been talking about this for a long while at Hotel Analyst, it's yet further evidence of how much these silos of where you've said we've got service departments here, we've got hostels there, we've got co-living, we've got co-working, we've got student accommodation. Well, it's all just merging into one sort of buildings with beds. Um, we've been so excited about this that we actually launched a conference on the very topic, Hotel Alternatives event, which actually conveniently, plug-wise, takes place on the 5th of February um, at the Jumeirah Carlton Tower in London. Um, and and you know this was the fifth one we've done on it and what we're bringing together is is all of these different players the student accommodation people the 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 even the residential investors we've had caravan park investors um all of this and it really we're all tapping into effectively the same sort of market now and this is massive overlap between them and it's increasingly difficult to distinguish between you know uh, a straightforward hotel investment and all these myriad other uh, buildings with beds options and uh, talking of talking of co-living and India has reminded me that back in 2016 I interviewed um, a young exec who was building uh, a business called Chototel um, in India but um, uh, and, sh- and she was she was expecting to uh, deliver rooms for two dollars to US dollars a night uh, in India um, and uh, certainly culturally there were some major differences which she felt would make um, uh, this kind of co-living accept- more acceptable in India and in a kind of an area where there was a lot of uh, industrial work available in local factories. Um, but uh, having had a little look around, I can't see um, Choto Hotel has advanced much more than still being uh, some CGIs for what might be coming. Mm, I think $2 a night is a bit optimistic given the huge um, real estate um, prices in India. And like a lot of uh, emerging markets, there there is sort of slightly bubble territory in places. I mean, uh, Mumbai has at some stages been the most expensive place in which to buy land um, in the world. Um, I think it's re- gone down a little bit since then, but it's still pretty toppy, and I, I simply don't think concepts offering $2 a night are going to be able to make any money. Sharing might be another alternative, and uh, that's our next topic. Um, Catherine, this is particularly relating to uh, what's going on in uh, with the lawmakers in New York, I believe. Indeed, indeed, and there's a, a special place, no doubt, in uh, Airbnb's legal team for working with New York. Um, it's something of an ongoing shenanigan. Um, but they've uh, they've had some in, some uh, interim success, 
and they managed to block a law which was going to force them to supply lists of information about their host to the authorities temporarily. And um, and the judge, they um, Airbnb came up with all sorts of First Amendment reasons and Fourth Amendment reasons, and, and you know, wouldn't it be exciting if we had a constitution too? But um, in this case, uh, some of the reasons the judge came up with for not going through with it were that um, competition reasons, they should, people shouldn't be forced to share data about their customers, and also that there was no need for the hotel sector to be that strictly regulated, unlike the gun sector. Um, the gun, uh, <laughs> which I thought that that it's is so, well it's so brilliantly well regulated yes. that, um, that <laughs> yes, so so in this case, you can still publicly display your hotel rooms um, anywhere you go in in bars, in libraries, uh, all sorts of places without getting into any trouble with the law. So on they go. Um, Airbnb had a lot to say um, about how successful they were. They also had a lot to say about how much of this was a result of the hotel sector lobbying against them. So in New York, things may be slightly more friendly for Airbnb, but they are not being any friendlier with the hotel sector, where it is, in fact, guns out. So we'll be interested to see how that goes. Hotel lobbyists still very keen to repress them. Um, and Airbnb still battling against them. We've talked about the move to legislation with Airbnb before, and I think there will need to be some <laughs> some transparency on their part. Maybe not as much. They were looking at, I think, uh, revealing monthly data, and it was going to be quite the um, quite the festival of filing. But maybe not as much as that. But there will still need to be some transparency. I think you cannot have all these beds and whatever around on the market without people knowing where they are, even from a fire life safety viewpoint. So one to run and run there for Airbnb. And of course, Airbnb just started uh, taunting us with one or two little statistics about their uh, the scale of their business, haven't they, recently? They do, an occasional taunt, yes. Lots. Nothing too um, factual, really. Um, <laughs> um, I think having having started this podcast with a recommendation for a New Year's resolution, I'm now going to have a recommendation for a chant. And that chant is going to be for everybody in the hospitality industry to repeat, regulation will not save my <laughs> business. Regulation will not save my business. Level playing field, level playing field. And, <laughs> I agree. I agree entirely that um, you know that, that that's where we it ought to be, but it's not going to be that way. And you know, look at it. Look where we are already. I mean, the the, the valuation of Airbnb is is only just shy of Marriott's market cap. A huge number of people are betting um, on these platforms, and that they're going to succeed. And I think it's very foolish indeed if you think that the regulators are going to be quick enough and sharp enough to to stop this. Um, th- th- these businesses succeeding, and uh, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be um, Airbnb. It could well be something else. But I think what is going to happen is that the industry is going to change fundamentally, and that there ain't no stopping that change. And you've got to work with that. And I, I, I've made this plea before, and I think I'm going to make it again. In that the hotel industry needs to start actually making common cause with these platform players and start going out to the regulators and going out to government and, and, and working with them to prevent some of the, the 
the crazier stuff which is coming down the pipeline um, in terms of preventing uh, hotel development in in terms of bed tax and so forth and I think we can make good common cause with the platforms uh, if we stop whining about the unfairness point it out obviously um, Airbnb is willing to 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 change and it, there has to be a, a, a midway point here and I'd, I'd just like to to see the industry focusing on 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 that and learning also from the platform um, platform players learning what they're bringing to the industry learning why they are being so successful and why they are being so appealing to customers um, and, and we are seeing the new concepts um, coming out of the industry uh, Ackles, Joe and Joe, things like this are, you know, about the sense of community and so forth. Um, there are clear signs of that, but we're not yet, um, I don't think, embracing the change f- um, with enough enthusiasm. Um, I'm just, I, I just hope. No, we can I think interesting about the judge's ruling in this case was that he very much um, saw Airbnb and the hotel sector as one and the same. Um, which is not something that uh, I've seen before. It may have happened before. I don't think it has. He viewed them very much as all one of the same scenario, and he thought that anything that applied to hotels should apply to Airbnb, vice versa. And he and he said that this is this kind of onerous data collection doesn't apply to hotels. So he didn't see why it should apply to Airbnb. Um, and uh, always that effect. I want to put words in the judge's mouth, but they were words like that. But so I thought, you know, as far as us all moving together as one glorious industry goes, in the eyes of the law, in some places that is already the case. And of course, some hotel groups are very good at sharing data. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, no, I can't get enough data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's uh, my favourite joke so far um, from um, Phil Campbell at Whitebridge Hospitality. His presentation I went to uh, last week was the uh, the new brand from Marriott, the Marriott Breach Resort. On that note, thank you, uh, and we'll wrap up this week. But just a reminder that if you are interested in finding out more about alternatives, then you should be beetling along to uh, Hotel Alternatives on the 5th of February. Details of the programme and how to uh, get your delegate pass are all online at hotelalternatives.net.